We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the Pacer fans, welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace on PacersTalk.net and CLNSmedia.com. Joining me as always is my favorite co-host, the good-looking one, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, man? Doing well, doing well. Episode 52, the Brad Miller episode. And (laughs) while my Denver Broncos season is over at 0-3, there is not one team in the NBA that has beat my Indiana Pacers this year. Well, that's, that's looking up the glass half full, Fachi, so we're not going to have it. too long of an intro here. We are going to be joined today by the one and only Mark Monteith from Pacers.com to preview this Pacers season, so we hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Alrighty, Pacer fans, and joining us right now on the phone line is the one and only Mark Monteith from Pacers.com. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be with you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, with the season just around the corner, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of questions you have going into the season with some of the moves they made. So let's start off with the biggest move they made this offseason, Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, It was kind of a different situation because we did see that uh, our owner did make a trade with the Milwaukee Bucks to bring in um, Malcolm Brogdon. So with them giving up a first-round pick in a couple seconds, did you like that move? Did you think that was too much for Brogdon? 
No, I thought it was good. I know a lot of people question why they would uh, not just try to sign him to an offer season and get him as a free agent rather than give up something. But the real a couple of reasons before that, Herb Simon doesn't like to pluck players from other teams. You know, he's kind of following the golden rule there. He doesn't like teams, you know, going after uh, players that he would have wanted to re-sign with offer sheets. So uh, that was one thing. But the other thing, really, and maybe the biggest thing was if you present an offer sheet uh, for a free agent, uh, you're kind of frozen. You're locked up. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't do anything else. And if that other team, if Milwaukee – had decided to match the Pacer offer sheet because Brogdon was a restricted free agent. Um, you know, the Pacers would have been kind of sit, sitting on their hands for a couple of days and then had nothing to show for it and perhaps would have lost out on other players they wanted to sign. You know, you're kind of taken out of the game uh, in free agency if you have presented an offer sheet and the other team has taken a couple of days to decide what to do. So they're kind of a practical move as well. I think Brogdon... Uh, certainly is worth a first-round draft pick, assuming that the Pacers uh, don't, for some reason, <laughs> have a horrible season, and right. that winds up being a higher draft pick. So, uh, no, I, I thought it was a good trade. I think um, I'm really intrigued by Brogdon. I think he can be a great leader, and his stats kind of speak for themselves. So I think it kind of heralds the beginning of a new era. Yeah, Mark, I completely agree with you when you mentioned that Milwaukee really could have just kind of had a sitting on our hands for a while. And you saw just how quick free agents went uh, this offseason. It was just about every minute. I mean, guys already had agreements pretty much in place beforehand. Um, while I don't agree with Herb's old school mentality of, of, you know, being mad that teams are coming after your star players. How did you think of the Pacers overall offseason? How does it compare to maybe in recent past? Yeah, I think they got better, and you know that's obviously the uh, intention. But I think mm-hmm. on the whole, they got better. I think they got lucky with the yeah. opportunity to sign uh, or to take in the trade T.J. Warren. You know, basically Phoenix is dumping a salary, wanting to go with a younger player. But I think T.J. Warren, in my mind, is a better player than Bogdanovich. And you know, I think a lot of fans might disagree with that on the surface, but. You know, T.J. Warren is five years younger than Bogdanovich. He has a uh, lesser contract. He's like, what, about $11 million a year with a couple years to mm-hmm. go, whereas Bogdanovich wound up getting something, what, $17, 18000000 million exactly. from uh, Utah. So you got a younger player uh, at a lesser number and I think a superior player, a guy who's more athletic and better able to create his own shots at an equally good three-point shooter. So I think they came out ahead there. Uh, I think they're going to be better point guard. Uh, I think, you know, I think Goga Batadze was a good first-round draft pick, a guy who's, you know, 20 years old now, obviously will need some time, but I think he shows a lot of promise as a complete player. Um, Jeremy Lamb, who averaged 15 points a game last year, can fill in as a starter, but certainly is willing to go back and play off the bench once Oladipo is healthy. So all in all, you know, I just thought they got better. And uh, there was no guarantee that going into the summer. Uh, I think they got a little bit lucky in some respects, but I think it came out okay in the long run. Yeah, I completely agree. I've been saying since day one that uh, Bogdanovich signing with the Jazz was a blessing in disguise because that's a lot of money to offer a guy that's on the downward part of his career. And you can get younger by getting a T.J. Warren and Jeremy Lamb and those guys. So just feel like the age and the way the paces are going makes more sense for the guys they brought in and not re-signing Bullion. But 
One of my biggest questions heading into the season is this Turner-Sabonis duo. And I think that a lot of us are excited to see how it's going to work. But at the same time, I think there should be some fear in the back of our minds because we're just not sure if these two can play together, if Sabonis can guard fours. And I know that was a challenge that McMillan did give Sabonis heading into the offseason that he wanted him to work on that. But, you know, our power forward spot, I mean, if you're considering Sabonis a power forward, I mean, behind him you got T.J. Leaf, Alizé Johnson, Jakar Sampson. I mean, this is probably the weakest power forward depth we've had in a while. So uh, if this doesn't work, I feel like the Pacers might be in trouble. But what do you think of this pairing heading into the season, and what do you think it's going to have to take for this to work? Yeah, I really think it's probably the key to the season. You know, assuming they have reasonably good health, I think the the outcome of that experiment will uh, be the biggest factor in their season, and it'll have a lot of ripple effects. I think it can work. Uh, there's reason for optimism. It analytically worked pretty well last season. When they played together, uh, it had a positive impact. Now, two seasons ago, it was a negative, but last year, it was a positive. We all know how the Pacers have struggled in rebounding recently, and they needed to be a better rebounding team. Uh, so this will address that. Uh, these two guys want to play together. They really like one another, so that will help. There's not going to be any jealousy or resentment or whatever. Um, certainly Sabonis is a able and willing passer and a complete player. I think he will kind of take a load off Turner and bring out the best in Turner, uh, less of a rebounding burden on Turner. Uh, you know, you can post up Sabonis and let Turner roam out to the perimeter and shoot some three-pointers. I think the key for it to work, though, it's two-pronged. And Turner has to be able to score out of the low post. He's got to be able to post up a, and score on a 6-5 guy when there's a switch on the you know high pick and roll mm-hmm. and the defense switch is another player on the Turner. He's just got to be able to score in those situations. And you know we know that he worked with Kevin McHale over the summer. We'll see if anything good comes out of that. Uh, and the other thing is Sabonis has to defend reasonably well on the perimeter, there will be games when he's matched up against a smaller 6'8 guy and has to be able to uh, try to stay in front of him. He'll get burned some, but on the other hand, if he is in those kind of matchups, whoever he's having to guard, if that same player has to guard him in the low post, uh, it's going to be a problem for the defense. And if they, if the opponent uh, you know, puts their center defensively on Sabonis, then somebody's got to go out on Turner and those are the situations where Turner has to be able to post up a smaller player. If another team puts their center on Sabonis and a 6A guy or whatever on Turner, that's when you want Turner to go to the low post and be able to score. So I think those two things will kind of determine it. I think it's got great potential. It's something other teams don't have. You know, most teams don't have two 6'11 guys um, that between the two of them kind of cover – the gamut of a skill set from, you know, low post scoring to three-point shooting uh, to, you know, rebounding and just about everything else. And keep in mind, Sabonis, you know, is a capable three-point shooter himself, you know, and perhaps better than Turner. I mean, he didn't shoot a lot of them last year, but he had, you know, a really good uh, three-point percentage last season. So, uh, in fact, it was like 53%. So. Um, that could work, you know. I mean, you got two six eleven guys who could uh, who are legitimate three point threats, and they're going to rebound. So um, I, it's certainly worth exploring. Now, if it doesn't work, obviously, I think we all realize some changes will have to be made. Sabonis is not going to want to come off the bench for the rest of his career. The Pacers will have to make a decision 
on him by, by the end of October whether to um, you know, give him a new contract uh, or let him become a restricted free agent. I would imagine they'll give him the new contract, one very similar to what Turner got last year. So, you know, they're going to tie up a lot of money in him. So if it doesn't work, something will have to give down the road, you know, in the way of personnel, you know, to basically trade one of them and then go from there. Yeah, Mark, kind of piggybacking off of that, because that that pairing is really the key to the season. I know you mentioned that maybe they'll have to make that decision by October. Do you think uh, it's in the Pacers' best interest to potentially make that decision prior to the season to potentially save some money, or would you prefer to at least uh, get a preview of how they're going to be paired together in extended minutes before uh, re-upping Sabonis' contract? Yeah, that's a good question. It's kind of a dilemma because, yeah, you don't know that that's going to work. But I would expect they probably will do what they did last year with Turner and give him that contract. And you might be able to get him at a quote-unquote bargain price, you know, by today's standards if you sign him earlier. And if he goes on to have a great season, you know, you'll be happy to have him locked up. There's no question that Sabonis would be a highly valued uh, player on the free agent marketplace if the Pacers don't sign into that contract keep in mind the Pacers you know could match any offer that he receives just like Milwaukee could have matched any offer Brogdon received this past summer um, so they don't necessarily lose him if they don't sign him October but you might have to pay him more and usually players tell you that uh, it's a relief to know they have their contract and their security uh, you don't really want a guy in a situation where he feels like he has to score a lot to earn the next contract that kind of thing uh, so while there's an argument to be made for saying, Hey, go out and earn it, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on you and see what you got this year. And, you know, we'll pay at the end of it. Uh, usually teams pay the player in this situation in October and uh, go from there. So I would expect that's the likeliest scenario with Sabonis. My last question for you, Mark, here on the Sabonis Turner thing is I want to know what you think about them offensively and how they'll use them in the offense. Because I know a lot of people that have watched the Pacers know that Sabonis probably is a little bit more efficient in the pick and roll. He's a little bit of a better passer, sees the floor better, is more of a playmaker where Turner's more of a pick and pop guy. And I would like to know what you think they're going to do with these two guys on the court. Because a lot of times, you know, we saw Thaddeus Young would either be left in the uh, in the hole down low or he'd be left stretching the you know three with uh, being in the corner. So, uh, I think Turner and Sabonis could both knock down that three-point shot, but I would be interested to know your thoughts on how these guys are used offensively. Yeah, I think there's a lot of flexibility there because you could kind of determine, uh, you can base it on what the defensive matchup is, you know, who's guarding who, uh, who's got the undersized defender to go against. Again, if Turner can be a legitimate scoring threat in the low post, then they have a ton of flexibility because Turner could also step out and uh, score from the perimeter, and Sabonis can score from the perimeter, uh, just like he can score from the low post. So, again, if Turner can be a low post scoring threat, then you can just kind of mix and match and you know, go after the weak link on defense uh, and and just kind of customize your offense to whatever the defense has to offer. So um, that's a big key. You know, Turner's low post scoring ability, while that doesn't have to be his bread and butter, I just think it has to be part of his arsenal. And we've seen hints of it in the past, and we know that he's worked on it this summer. So hopefully he's really improved in that area. You know, we didn't see it in the World Cup. Uh, he wasn't used that way. But 
hopefully he's got something in that regard. And if he does, and then then he could really have a lot of flexibility on offense. I think uh, you're right. Sabonis sets better screens. Um, you know, this better rolling to the basket, uh, attacking the basket. You know, he really was effective in that regard with Tyreek Evans and some other players over the years with Lance Stevenson before that. So uh, that's a great weapon, and I think Turner would be perfectly happy not to be the screen setter and take that hit because that wears on you. That's why you take all those hits on the screen. Right. You know, that's something that gets old pretty quickly. So, um, uh, again, I think the bottom line of it is Turner's low post scoring ability, and if he can do it, then they have a whole lot of flexibility. Yeah, you know, moving over, uh, concluding that the Turner and Sabonis uh, debate. You know, the big elephant in the room when it comes to the Pacers this offseason, when you're talking about a preview, is when is Oladipo going to be back? I mean, we've heard it could be December. We've heard Miles Turner recently say it could even be earlier. How, when he returns and roughly say it is December, it'll be almost a full year since he ruptured his quad. Quad injuries are pretty tricky. What do you think we can expect from Oladipo upon his return? Yeah, I think they're going to be very careful and very conservative mm-hmm. in when they bring him back. You know, they're not going to take any risks. They may be second-guessing uh, themselves, or maybe he's second-guessing himself for uh, returning when he did last season. You know, remember he had the initial injury, then he came back, and then he had the season-ending injury. So I think um, they're going to play it safe this time around, no question about it. Um so, and, you know, I'm sure there'll be a minutes restriction at first and they'll ease into it, but he's worked hard. Uh, we know what his work ethic is. And I have a feeling when that December, January time frame gets thrown out, it's a conservative one that will enable him to come back earlier and make everybody look good. Uh, I really have no idea when he'll come back. You know, I saw him up in Westfield a few weeks ago when he was at that camp. And talked with them there and it was kind of interesting they told the media people who were there don't ask about the injuries not talking about the injury well that's what everybody wants to know about you know but uh, he didn't want to talk about it he put that word out right away and i understand that you really can't predict uh, a healing process a rehab process you know you can't really predict when he'll be ready uh, but you might have a general idea but he looked he looks good i mean you know he walks and you know, jogs around fine, and he was shooting a lot that day, you know, shooting contests with the kids and everything, and he shot it really well. Uh, but hard to say, but when he does come back, uh, he'll be eased into it. You know, who knows if he can be 100% this season or not, but yeah. even if you have him something close to that, he'll be an asset. So uh, all I can see is I expect them to be very conservative in their approach, may have to hold him back a little bit. And uh, we'll just see. You know, every player is different. Every injury is different. Uh, so nobody can really estimate when he comes back and what kind of shape he'll be and when he does come back. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, questions with Oladipo that we're going to have to just kind of wait and see to find the answers to. And I'm excited to see that. But um, my my biggest question is, what is the biggest hole you see on this roster right now? Well, um you know, among the starters, I think the biggest challenge is chemistry, you know, because they intentionally went out to get more scoring. You know, they've been a really good defensive team the last couple of years, but haven't advanced in the playoffs. And we see, you know, while, you know, defense wins championships is one of the old time sports cliches. You look at the teams that win championships and they score, you know, they can score. They're not known for defense. They're that they can score. So, 
the Pacers improved their scoring, so we have to question the defense, I guess, as a primary thing. Brogdon is a good defender. I don't know much about Lamb. Uh, T.J. Warren is regarded as a poor defender, but it might be a situation like with Bogdanovich in Brooklyn where he wasn't really made to play it. And if you put him in the right environment, that he will play it. I mean, Warren is athletic enough that he should be at least a solid defender. So uh, hopefully in the right system and with the right emphasis from the coaching uh, staff, that he will rise to the challenge. We know Turner's a shot blocker, not a low post defender, but a shot blocker. And we know Sabonis can bang in the low post. uh, But we don't know about Sabonis having to defend on the perimeter. So I guess the biggest question is, uh, the biggest hole would be defense. Uh, particularly among the starters. And, you know, also we can question whether they can find offensive chemistry because, again, these guys all are accustomed to scoring. And Brogdon may be willing to step back and be the point guard and try to facilitate. But Oladipo, when he comes back, is going to want his shots. And Warren averaged 18 points a game last year and certainly wants to score. And Turner certainly, we know, wants to score. And Sabonis as well. So, it's going to have to be like on a nightly basis. You know, a different guy is going to have to step back a little bit, maybe depending on matchups or who's got the hot hand or whatever. But I think chemistry is going to be a real issue. I think they're all – I don't think any of them are selfish people. They all seem to really want to be on a winning team. So hopefully they'll make the necessary sacrifices. But that's the unproven. And uh, to me it's almost like a team with a new coach and that you've got so many new faces that there's bound to be a break-in period. Uh, where they get used to one another. Chemistry doesn't happen overnight. So I think that's going to be the big question mark. Yeah, chemistry is definitely something that uh, we're going to have to keep an eye on. Also, I do think when we touched on the age of this team, they did get a lot younger. I want to see if that uh, hopefully does not work to their disadvantage, having losing a guy like Thad Young. But when we talked about how young this team could be, who do you think might take the biggest jump this year on the Pacers? Yeah, you know, I asked uh, Nate McMillan that question uh, in like the season-ending press conference. You know, they were talking about wanting to get better, wanting to find more scoring, that type of thing. But improvement can always come from within the existing Mm -hmm. roster. And people often fail to factor internal improvement into their preseason picks or, you know, uh, guesses because – uh, you know, you, you tend to assume a guy's going to be just what he was last year, where, in fact, you know, players, young players do tend to approve, improve. But it's hard to predict that because, you know, we've seen these guys, even though they're around 26, 27 years old, you know, we've seen who they are for the most part. I guess if I had to pick one or two guys who will take the biggest jump, it would have to be the really young guys like Aaron Holiday and Edmund Sumner. Um, you know, Holiday showed flashes. Uh, it was interesting to me. They brought in T.J. McConnell. You have to wonder who is going to be the backup point guard to start the season. Uh, so, you know, if Holiday's the num- number three point guard again, you're not going to see a lot of them. But certainly just by his age alone, um, he should take a major step forward. And Sumner, same thing. I mean, he's uh, longer, uh, really fast, uh, and he's improved his shooting. Uh, I was told that in these pre-training, crap, pre-training camp scrimmages that they're having now at the uh, St. Vincent Center that he has shown uh, an improved shot, and he's got to have that. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's got to be able to hit three-pointers. So I guess those two guys are the ones who are best positioned to improve and uh, most likely to improve and, in fact, really need to improve. 
Yeah, and I and I I have a question too, kind of piggybacking that situation as well, because you mentioned the Pacers brought in McConnell to uh, you know be part of that point guard depth there with Brogdon and Holiday, so we don't know who could start. But in addition to that, they also brought in Aaron Holiday's brother Justin, who might kind of get uh, a chance to get minutes over Edmund Sumner in that backup shooting guard role until Oladipo gets back. So, do you think that? We'll be seeing, you know, maybe Justin play the three and out, you know, dueling McDermott for those minutes, or do you think he'll be, you know, replacing Sumner and it's going to be kind of hard for Sumner to crack the rotation? Yeah, it could be hard for Sumner to do that. Sumner thinks of himself as a point guard, but, you know, as we know, there's three guys there already with uh, Brogdon and McConnell and Holiday, so uh, that's a right. tough nut to crack. I was a little surprised by the number of players the Pacers did sign, did bring in. They've got, of course, the full roster, full, as many guys as you could have under contract. And uh, I think a lot of people assume that, well, they're going to, you know, make Holiday the backup point guard and create, you know, opportunity for Sumner or whatever. You know, no, they brought in guys, you know, like T.J. McConnell and Justin Holiday, uh, who are threats to those positions. So they're going to have to earn their minutes. So there may be, you know, talking about chemistry, there may be some frustrated guys who aren't in the rotation who we're expecting to be, and how they approach that situation could have, uh, uh, you know, importance on the season. If they're, you know, complaining a lot or just showing a bad attitude about it, that could be uh, a virus in the locker room. So we'll have to see because, you know, <laughs> they've got, uh, you know, they're only going to play nine, maybe ten per game. And uh, if you start running through the numbers, some guys are going to be sitting out who probably were expecting to be able to play some more this year. So whether that's Holiday, either of the Holidays, or McConnell, or Sumner, or whoever, um, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. But, you know, as we know, there will be injuries throughout the season, and I think the Pacers are pretty well positioned to have enough depth where they can fill in for injured players, as long as it's not <laughs> Brogdon, you know, Oladipo for the season, and guys like that. Right. You know, mentioning you know, the depth on this team and, and Edmund Sumner, who I have a soft spot for. I really, you know, really pull for the kid. I think he would have been a first-round pick if he didn't tear his ACL uh, at Xavier. And I also love the fact that they did re-up him and increase his deal. But do you think the foot injury that he had and not really being able to play in summer league kind of had the Pacers a little bit less high on him where they did bring in? Uh, more guys because I just don't know where Sumner's going to be able to get quality minutes on this team. I know he's a jack of all trades; he could play, you know, one through the three. But I, it's, he's going to have a tough time getting minutes. Where do you see him primarily being able to get the bulk of his minutes? Yeah, it's a good question, and you know, he hasn't proved that he can stay healthy. You know, really, he uh, of course, you know, had injury issues at Xavier, and that's why the Pacers were able to get him in the second round. I thought that was a pretty savvy move. And then he's, you know, been healthy for stretches playing in Fort Wayne. Uh, but then he had that issue over the summer and barely played. So you know, he's a skinny guy, and he may turn out to be one of those injury-prone guys. And we'll just have to see. And I do think that probably was in the Pacers' mind when they signed guys like Justin Holliday's that we can't count on Sumner to be a rotation player because he may not be able to stay healthy. So he's an intriguing guy because of his length. He's a good defender. He can really run. Uh, he can get to the basket. Uh, you know, I've been saying if he develops a three-point shot, a perimeter shot, he could really be an effective player. But he really hasn't proven it yet. So he's still an unknown. Uh, if he does stay healthy and if he has taken a big step forward in his uh, this, uh, ability, you know, uh, to play, you know, 
that, that readiness to play, I should say, uh, he may wind up being frustrated, or, or maybe Justin Holiday is going to be frustrated. Somebody's going to be frustrated. So you just got to see how it works out. I think the front office job is to bring in as much talent as it can, accumulate it, uh, and try to establish the, the team culture and the, the opportunity for chemistry. But it's up to the players to accept their roles and uh, you know contribute when they can, contribute when they're called upon. So. Sumner's really an X factor. You know, he he could be a surprising player, a contributor. He could be invisible practically and be a guy who's not getting into games. And uh, I doubt that he wants to spend much more time in the G League up in Fort Wayne. But, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting season for him. I think he's one of the more intriguing guys on the roster. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. But I feel like the Pacers brought in a lot of wings this offseason, so it's going to be tough and it's going to be difficult to crack that rotation because there's only so many spots available. But my my biggest question that I have with this second unit is that power forward position. So has Nate McMillan indicated who will be getting the, the first crack at the backup power forward? Uh, well, I would have to assume it's T.J. Leaf, and I actually think Leaf has become a bit underrated. Uh, you know, I know he's regarded generally as a disappointment, and he didn't play that much last year. I'm looking at the stats. He played in 58 games. He averaged 3.9 points. There's not a lot there to be excited about. But I do think he's got the ability to be a contributor, rotation, contributor uh, as a rotation player. And uh, I think he showed something in that last game in Atlanta. You could say, well, it was only Atlanta. It was the last game. But Atlanta was playing as starters, and he went out and scored 20, what, 28 points, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And he shows a lot. I mean, he is maybe their best scorer around the basket. He's got great timing. He's a quick jumper. Uh, He gets a lot of points around the basket. The weird thing about his season last year was that he suddenly was a poor three-point shooter, you know, 26%, whereas entire, his entire career had been a really good three-point shooter, whether it was high school or UCLA or even in his rookie season with the Pacers. He was a good three-point shooter. If he gets that back, uh, I think he's a legitimate backup four, and he's going to struggle against some guys defensively. But, uh, again, those type of guys will struggle to guard him on the perimeter. He's really good at taking people off the dribble. Uh, again, he could score around the basket with either hand. So I think he's uh, maybe going back to your earlier question about who takes the biggest jump forward. I might amend that and say TJ Leaf, actually. Uh, I should have thought of him earlier because I think he's got the raw talent uh, to be a player. And I think if he gets regular minutes as a backup, I think he can show that. Uh, we'll see. I think uh, somebody mentioned – uh, at the golf outing last week, you know, I asked most of the guys there uh, who has impressed you or surprised you in your scrimmages here uh, as you get together before training camp. And Brogdon was the one who mentioned TJ Leaf and, and saying he thinks he will be able to take a major step forward. So we'll see. You know, I, I haven't seen these scrimmages. I haven't heard that from anybody else. But I do think he's a legitimate talent. You know, I like his versatility. Again, he's got to be able to hit the three-point shot again. And I don't know why he didn't last year. I don't know why he wouldn't, though, again in the future. He's got good form and all that. And he's got enough of a track record, I think, as a three-point shooter uh, to believe he'll be that again. Uh, but I think he's a guy who can um, who could be a factor. Uh, I don't, I suppose, worry about that position as much as some people if he doesn't get the job done you know you could go small 
with you know whether it's McDermott sliding over there or or whatever. You know, I think um, they could fill in there. I think of all the things to worry about with a team, you know, the backup four spot is maybe you know one of the least. So uh, I don't think that'll be a major problem. I tell you, if TJ Leaf is the guy taking the biggest the biggest jump this year, the Pacers are going to be in some great shape because everyone's waiting for him to come around. Uh, I think it's, this yeah. would be the year if it's, if it's going to happen. But we recently heard Nate McMillan have some high praise for Goga. I mean, he was saying that his IQ is way ahead of, of his years, and he's pretty much just going for everything, trying to block every shot out there. We saw a recent video of him. Just It was just a simple dunk, but, you know, it got all Pacer fans excited. What can we truthfully expect out of Goga this year in backup minutes? Yeah, uh, just, I think, solid contributions. You know, he's mm-hmm. 20 years old. He just turned 20 over the summer. So uh, it would be unfair to expect a lot, but he's been playing against pros, you know, over in Europe. It's not like he's uh, coming out after his freshman or sophomore year of college. So, uh, you know, he's been against a higher level of competition, you know, playing against grown men than a guy coming out of college over here. So, uh, you know, I haven't seen him play a game in person. I've seen the YouTube clips like everybody else. Uh, I know he's a solid three-point shooter. I know he's got legit post-up scoring skills. I know he's got the kind of body that uh, can compete right now around the basket and will only get stronger. Uh, I know he's got a great attitude. You know, you're talking about a guy who grew up in a war-torn country uh, and uh, has experienced real hardship. You know, he's been toughened by some real-life circumstances that should be an asset for him on the basketball court. But he's got a great personality, too. He's very outgoing, fun-loving, um, you know, a great amount of enthusiasm. I'm sure he'll get teased a lot by the veterans, but uh, I know he can take it and he'll give some of it back. I mean, he's really shown a spark. And most of the really good players have a spark in their personality. You know, they're not wallflowers. So I think uh, Goga is a guy who has a chance to be really good. Uh, it's maybe unusual to throw a guy like that into the rotation, but he's going to be the guy. I mean, you know, Turner. And Sabonis aren't going to play every minute of every game. You know, Goga's going to play. But uh, I like his potential a lot. And, again, without having seen him even in one of these scrimmages at the practice facility, I think he's got all the tools to be a good player. And, I might, and going real, real quick, going back to Leaf, I think another thing people forget is that he's 21 years old. You know, he's now 21 years old. He's younger uh, than uh, a guy like Ryan Klein who played at Purdue last year, you know, mm-hmm. or Jawan Morgan who played at IU. You know, he came into the league really young, and uh, so to say that uh, you know he's in his third year, but he's also 21 years old and hasn't played a lot. So I think it's um, a, too, a little bit early to give up on him. Yeah, and I think that one thing you mentioned where Leaf might struggle a little bit defensively guarding some guys on the perimeter. You know, we've seen the potential that Goga has being a shot blocker. I think that's a little bit underrated as well because he might be able to mask some of the defensive deficiencies that that second unit might have. So uh, I'm excited for Goga as well. Just want to see what he can do, and I'm glad that he's going to be given the opportunity because there is no other backup center on this team. So he is the guy, like you said. But just to kind of wrap this all up and put a bow on it, Mark, what are your expectations win-loss record-wise for this Pacers team, and where do you see them falling at in the Eastern Conference uh, based on standings? Yeah, that's tough. I usually kind of throw out my guess, you know, right before the season starts after we've seen exhibition games and seen them in training camp and that kind of thing. 
Um, you know, I I don't know. I think um, they again. I think they can be better than last year. And last year they won 48 games, right? So uh, you would reasonably expect that they could win more than that this year. You know, the East on the whole, I don't think is any better than last year. You know, so early, early, I would not make this official. I would not put it in writing, but I would say, you know, like uh, 52, 53 games, something like that. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah, I mean, really, again, that, and I don't, one is I don't like to be overly optimistic. I mean, I'm trying to be realistic. I've been fortunate, you know, most of my recent calls have been pretty accurate. I was the one year I was wrong was the, was Paul George's last year. Like a lot of people, I thought they'd win 50 and they won 42. I think if they'd had Lance Stevenson all year, uh, they would have won 50 because he was the guy that particular team really needed with his adrenaline and enthusiasm. But and last year, I, th- I threw out 52 uh, again, but that was assuming Oladipo would play <laughs> You know, right, most right. of the year. I think if he had not got hurt, they could have won. They certainly could have won 52 games last year if he plays most of the season. So I'll throw out around 52 this year. Again, break it down. Just break it down. Is Brogdon better than Collison? Yeah, probably, most likely. Uh, if Oladipo comes back, I say December sometime, first of January, um, they'll be you know as good as they were last year at that position when Oladipo wasn't there. They'll be better. Uh, is T.J. Warren better than Bogdanovich? I think so. He's no worse. Yeah, there's no drop off there. Uh, Turner will be back at center. He should be better than last year. He's still a young, improving player, so. Uh, they should be at least as good, if not better, there. And again, if Sabonis works out, if the Turner Sabonis thing works out, uh, that's another plus. You know, I mean, is Sabonis better than Thad Young? Thad Young was a really good player, very valuable. Uh, but you know, to me, I would argue that Sabonis was the best player on the team last year. If you look at the advanced analytics, they say he was the most efficient player. You know, highest win shares, all that kind of thing. So that should be an improvement. If you bring that much improvement to a starting lineup and don't get worse on the bench, why wouldn't your record be better than it was last year? So that's what I go by. So I think you can safely throw out early 50s unless they have, you know, major injury issues again. You know, we'll have to see on that. Oh, I completely agree. When you talk about all the improvements that they made, I mean, expectations are if Oladipo is Oladipo, you know, at least at some point during the season, this Pacers team should be able to take the next step. Now, after if the Pacers do struggle and Nate McMillan is unable to get them out of the first round for a fourth straight year, do you think there could be potential rumblings of him maybe losing his job, even just being one year off of being in the running for coach of the year? Yeah. Uh, well, there would be rumblings among the fans, but I don't think that the front office would uh, cave into that. You know, uh, keep in mind that Nate McMillan has a really tight relationship with Kevin Pritchard. You know, they go mm-hmm. back to Portland together. Portland. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, people maybe don't realize that hiring Nate McMillan is really Kevin Pritchard's decision, not Larry Bird's. I mean, Larry Bird was the team president at that time and had one more season to go, but he knew that he was only going to do it one more year and that he basically hired the guy that Kevin Pritchard wanted because Kevin Pritchard was the guy who was going to have to live with the decision. I'm sure Larry was on board with it, but that was really Kevin Pritchard's call. And as I look back on that press conference, when they introduced Nate McMillan as coach, you know, Kevin Pritchard was the guy who stayed after and talked to the media 
individually, not Larry Bird. You know, and that kind of made it clear to me that, ah, this is Kevin Pritchard's call, and these two guys go back to Portland, and they're really tight. And Nate McMillan got a contract extension, what was it, last year maybe? Uh, I know he's gotten kind of a, a, an extension from his original contract with the Pacers. Mm-hmm. So it would take a really bad situation, you know, for – uh, them to make some kind of coaching change. I think Nate is pretty uh, solid right now in that position, and I don't expect any kind of a you know real bad season or hugely disappointing season unless it's injury related. Because I don't think they've really underachieved under Nate. A lot of people in his first year, you know, I think were disappointed, but I think we know now uh, in hindsight. Uh, issues that with Paul George being the man but not being a leader and, you know, just the makeup of that team wasn't quite right. I don't know that I would say they underachieved. Uh, I don't think they underachieved last season um, either. Winning 48 games, like you mentioned, he was in – he got some mention for coaching coach of the year candidacy. So uh, I think Nate's done a solid job. My only question would be the half-court offense. Sometimes I question the structure of the half-court offense and the fact they don't seem to get – as many good shots as other teams do, uncontested shots, Uh, whether that's Nate, whether that's an assistant coach who's in charge of the offense, whether that's the players who aren't executing what's set out for them to do, you would have to be at practice and in the huddles and in the locker room to really be able to evaluate that situation. You know, I've been fortunate to follow college teams closely enough to where I'm at practice every day and in the locker room and all that. And, you know, you realize from that experience that it's not always the coach when things go wrong. You know, the players don't always do what they're supposed to do. So um, hard to know where to point fingers if you don't like the offense or the defense or whatever. So I think Nate's solid. It would have to take a real strange situation for him to not be uh, on solid ground. You know, Nate is a pretty tough guy. I mean, he's a taskmaster. Man, master. He um, he demands more than a lot of NBA coaches are willing to demand. He made the comment uh, uh, last spring when they signed T.J. Warren. You know, T.J. Warren had expressed a real desire to play for Nate McMillan. You know, they both went to NC State, and uh, Nate said, "Boy, usually it's when guys." Uh, are done playing for me that they say nice things about me. You know, usually the guys who are playing for me right now or are going to don't do that. So he was kind of joking about that. But Nate's willing to to demand defense. He's willing to push guys more than they're usually getting pushed in the NBA. He's willing to get on guys and be demanding. Uh, so I think, you know, I think he's a solid coach. I think it's a matter of having the right talent and uh, having the right structure at both ends of the court to take advantage of that talent. Awesome, Mark. Well, we definitely appreciate the time that you've given us. We went a little bit longer than we had actually asked you for, so thank you for giving that extra extended time. And you guys can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Monteith, and you can get all of his work at Pacers.com. And we should be checking that out because Friday is media day, correct? That's right. It starts on Friday, first practice on Saturday. Awesome, man. Well, we thank you so much for coming on, and we hope you have a great rest of your night. All right. Thanks, guys. Good to be with you. Alrighty, righty, Fosh, we just had Mark Monteith on there. Just want to get a quick recap of his breakdown and his preview for this season. Oh, class act uh, that Mark is. Uh, I really appreciate him coming on. Uh, I thought the big takeaway is he, he thinks that TJ Leaf is going to be the guy who takes the biggest jump on this Pacers team. And if that's the case, then the Pacers are going to be a pretty dangerous team because that backup four minutes, we've talked about it. 
we don't feel too great about that backup power forward spot. If Leaf can fill that void, then I feel real good about this Pacers team going into the season. Yeah, I feel good about this Pacers team and my Pacers fantasy team if TJ Leaf does take the the leap of faith that we're hoping for because you let him slip into my hands, Fachi. Uh, But yeah, no, Mark was absolutely amazing. I love hearing his insight on things. And, you know, he's not going to over, you know, give you hot takes. He's just going to give you, you know, what he feels and kind of just wait and see approach. He didn't really give major predictions, but he thought that there were some things there that he thought the Pacers improved on. And I like how he thought that we could win 52 games. Like, that was probably the biggest thing to me. Like, you figure not having Oladipo for possibly half the season. I mean, Mark still thinks that we could win 52 games. And along with that, he said that his biggest concern might be team chemistry. So uh, I didn't get to ask him this, but I was curious if he thought the trip to India would help that team chemistry grow a little bit, maybe. Uh, maybe off the court, which could hopefully resonate onto the court. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought there was some really good stuff there. And if you aren't following Mark on Twitter, you got to make sure you do that because he does a great job. And he's been covering, covering the Pacers for like 20, 30 years now, even probably longer than that. Yeah, I honestly, I think that would have been a great question. I was just listening to a recent podcast. J.J. Redick was saying that uh, he wishes the Clippers would have went out to dinner a lot more and done things like that. He did credit that for team chemistry. So hopefully that India trip does have a, a great effect on the team. But overall, I'm excited. Hey, if we're talking about 52 wins on a Pacers team that might have Oladipo out for two months, sign me up all day because yeah. that sounds great to me. Yeah, I would have even taken 48 at at this point, knowing the the injury. I I think there's a good possibility that 52 wins get you the third seed in the Eastern Conference, Machi. I mean, and that's huge for a home court advantage. I I strongly believe 52 would get that done. Even if the Pacers can crack 50 wins, I think that that would be a great step forward given the Oladipo situation. If he was healthy on the year, I mean, would we really be talking about 55 wins? Yeah. For this Pacers team, it's, it would have been a possibility. Yeah, I, I think that I'm going to tamper my expectations a little bit. I'm not going to get as high as 52 wins because we still have to see what Sabonis and Turner are going to be. I mean, that is a question mark, and he said that's probably the biggest question heading into the season. And I, I totally agree with him. I've been harping on this all offseason. I'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk about it, but that is just one of the biggest question marks I have. So I'm excited, Fachi. I think this was a really fun podcast. we got training camp coming up on Friday, so stay tuned to all the Pacers Twitter accounts because I think there's going to be a lot of good information there, good conversations with the players and what they expect heading into the season. So anyway, guys, if you love what you're listening to, please go to iTunes and leave us a rating. Give us a review as well. We would really appreciate that. If you're listening on Spotify, thank you so much. You can also check out all of our work, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, on PacersTalk.net and CLNSmedia.com. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace out, Pacer Nation. Let's go Pacers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.